For our scripture reading now, we turn to the Gospel according to Matthew, the third chapter. I suppose at this point, I really should just put the bookmark here in the pulpit Bible to Matthew, and that will simplify my life considerably for the next several months. We turn this morning to Matthew 3. We've begun making our way through the Gospel of Matthew not too long ago. Last time, it's been a couple weeks, but last time we focused our attention on the end of chapter 2, verses 13 through 23. And maybe you remember a couple weeks back, it was not easy reading because of what happens there at the end of chapter 2 and that Section verses 13 to 23. Remember what we learned a couple weeks back. We learned that evil is real. Herod had those children killed. That's what Herod was like. That's what sin is like. It's prideful and it is irrational and it is murderous. Evil is real. Thankfully, we also learned that God is ruling. God is ruling in such a way as to protect his own. He protected his own incarnate son from Herod and his son. And God still protects his own from the enemies of our souls. God is ruling. And then thirdly, we also learned that God is fulfilling. Remember that? Everything that happened in those early days in Jesus' life, it happened in fulfillment of the Lord's word to Israel in the Old Testament. Including the fact that Jesus' family had to seek safety in Egypt and then they came home when it was safe. Including the fact that Herod had those children killed. Including the fact that Jesus' family eventually settled back in Nazareth because that's where it was safe. Everything that happened then, everything that happens still, is in fulfillment of God's purposes. And that includes what happens to you and me as God is fulfilling his purposes for us today. So that was last time. End of chapter 2, verses 13 to 23. That brings us this morning to chapter 3. And as it says there in your bulletin, we're going to focus our attention just on verses 1 through 6. This is where we meet John the Baptist. But for the purposes of reading, let me read a little bit more than that. We'll go down to verse 12. So listen now to the word of God, Matthew 3, beginning at verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And then I'll keep reading for us. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. 
And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So this is God's word here in Matthew 3. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your word. And we tremble at it. In our call to worship this morning, we were called to tremble. And we certainly do when we hear these words, strong and sobering words that John declared to those who came out to him. We pray that you would give us ears to hear your voice. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I suppose it it goes without saying, but I'll go ahead and say it anyway. To read these Bible stories is to read history. It's to go back in time. And yet we're doing so not just because we're interested in history, though we are, but it's more than that. It's also because, it's primarily because we believe that this is the Word of God. And so we believe that God is speaking to us through this written history. We believe that God has lessons for us to learn from it that we ought to be living out today. It's as if God himself is the one who's taking us back in time. And he's doing so because he has some things to say to us. He's got lessons for us to learn from it. Imagine you build a time machine. And you begin accepting applications from people who want to be chosen to get in your machine and go back. One of the questions on your application that they have to fill out, one of your applications is going to be, why do you want to go back? Why do you want to go back in time? Well, the people that you're going to want to take back with you, the people that you're going to be drawn to, they're the ones who want to learn from history so as to live better and make a difference now. It's not just curiosity. It's not just a joy ride, however fantastic that joy ride might be. It's not just something to post about on Instagram. It's about going back to the past so as to learn and grow for the present and the future. Well, this morning, we're going back in time. And the reason I, I get us started this way today is that we're going back in time to such a unique moment in the whole of human history. And we need to understand that. We need to appreciate that. This morning, we're turning in our Bibles to the first book of the New Testament. And yet, the main character that we meet in our passage is the last prophet of the Old Covenant. 
Imagine that. And his whole ministry is about preparing the people of God for the Son of God who hasn't even been publicly revealed yet. And a big part of his ministry was a ritual of baptism, a ritual of washing, which was unique to that strange moment in history. And yet God takes us back there. Here we are in the year 2024. God takes us back there in order to speak to us this morning about our lives today. God takes us back in time to the ministry of John the Baptist. And as unique as that ministry was, as singular as that moment was, what we find there, what God shows us when he takes us back there, are truths that abide. Truths that ought to touch down in our lives today. So that's how we'll go about it this morning. First of all, let's go back in time. Let's dive into Matthew 3, 1 through 6, and see what's there. That'll be our time travel. Okay, we'll go back to the passage, walk through it, and see what's there. And then second of all, we'll come back to the present, and we'll think about the lessons that we should take from that history and live out today. So that'll be our approach. First, we'll go back in time to Matthew 3, and then we'll come back to this, our own time, with lessons learned. Now, before we dive into Matthew 3, a little bit of background. So just imagine at this point, we've gotten into the time machine, we're on our way back to the ministry of John the Baptist in the first century, but we don't want to travel too fast. It'll take us a few minutes to get all the way back there. So if you look out your windows, there's George Washington, there's Martin Luther, there's Charlemagne. But we're taking our time. It's going to take a few minutes. So like a proper tour guide, I'll take these few minutes to give you some sense of where we're headed and what we can find when we open our doors. Do you know the very last words in the Old Testament? Do you know how the whole of the Old Testament ends. It ends with the book of the prophet Malachi. It was something of a running joke in seminary days that he was the favorite prophet of the Italians because they would pronounce it Malachi. That's how we got through seminary with bad humor. In any case, the book of the prophet Malachi. And the book of Malachi ends with this particular prophecy. These are the very last words in the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 4, God says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And so ends the Old Testament. That was God's last word for around 400 years. The last thing that God had to say before the silence descended for around 400 years was, I'm going to send a prophet. I'm going to send a prophet like Elijah. Elijah, who 
called the people of God to repentance because they'd lost their way. Elijah, who spoke truth to power, come what may. God says, I'm going to send a prophet like him. And that prophet whom I'm going to send, he'll come first. He'll come before me. And he'll come before me for the purpose of preparing my people for me by turning their hearts back to me. Those are the very last words in the Old Testament. That was the expectation that God left his people with. All of the promises and expectations and prophecies about about God saving, about God coming to save. Well, the very last word is about one who will come before him and prepare the way. Now, fast forward from there, around 400 years, and an angel appears to a priest in the temple in Jerusalem. And the priest is named Zechariah. And Zechariah must have had no idea what he was in for that day when he went to work. We can be sure of this. He didn't go to work that day having any reason to think that he was going to become a father. And yet, this is Luke 1. You don't need to turn there. Just listen. Luke 1. What does the angel say to him? Do not be afraid, Zechariah. For your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Imagine that. Zechariah goes to work in the temple. An angel visits him and says that. And Zechariah doesn't get it. Zechariah doesn't believe it. Not at first. By the time John is born... Zechariah gets it. He believes it. And he says so after John is born. Zechariah says this about his child. He says, you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. That's Luke 1. Zechariah knew his Bible. Zechariah knew the Old Testament. He knew what the last words were. At the end of Malachi, he knew that God had promised to send a spirit like Elijah, a prophet like Elijah, to prepare the people of God for the coming of God. And now, Zechariah can contemplate those words and say, in effect, that's my boy. My son, John, is going to be that prophet. Tell you what I'm going to do. I am going to give up on this microphone. 
which is fairly temperamental this morning. And I shall be set free, and we won't have to worry about it cutting in and out. Zechariah says, my son John is going to be that prophet. So Zechariah knew it. And as you might imagine, in time, John himself came to know it about himself, and he said so too. And he said so when he was asked. This now is John 1. The Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed, and he did not deny, but John confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. And then I love this question. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. And now mine shall be a voice crying out. Thanks, Greg. John knew what his mission was. He knew who he was and how he fit into history. And he said so. So, background finished. Malachi, Luke, John, now our time machine has reached Matthew 3. Thank you for your patience. Watch your step as you step out of our time machine now that we've reached where we're going to go. And let's see what's waiting for us. With all of that background in mind, Malachi, Luke, John, these ancient expectations now realized in this this one. What does Matthew write for us here? Look at verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Matthew says there in verse 1, in those days. This is probably around 30 years after John and Jesus were born. If you piece together the various chronological clues that we get in the Gospels, probably around 30 years later. And Matthew says this is in the wilderness of Judea, so that would have been the region outside of Jerusalem. And so he says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent. Why? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that, that's quite an announcement. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, we need to get clear on that phrase, the kingdom of heaven. Sometimes in the Gospels, it's called that. It's called the, ki- the kingdom of heaven. Matthew usually calls it that. That's just a different way of referring to the kingdom of God, which is how it's usually put In the other Gospels. Same idea, same reality. John was saying the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is at hand. Now, whole books and doctoral dissertations have been written about the meaning of the kingdom of God in the Bible. We can sum it up short and sweet. What the kingdom of God refers to is is the state of affairs that God ushers in 
when God steps in to save. That's, that's the basic idea. And so it's a rich and wonderful idea. It's a big idea. What's the big idea? The big idea is the kingdom of God. It refers to the, the new situation, the new state of affairs that God ushers in when God steps in to save. And that's why John can say the kingdom is at hand. He, he's saying something about their moment in history. What he's saying to them is, people in our own day, God is stepping in to save. In our own day, it's happening. What we've been promised, what we've been longing for, what God's people have been longing for for centuries, it's now. So, John is not talking about the fact that, yes, God is God, and because God is God, therefore God reigns over the whole of the universe as cosmic king, reigning in such a way as to bring his purposes to pass. That's certainly true, but the point is that's always been true. I mean, from creation, that's always been true. There's nothing new about that. That's not news. So, yes, it's true. And it matters here. God is God, reigning as cosmic king over all things, bringing his purposes to pass. Amen. But there's nothing new about that. What was new in human history, what was new in John's day, was the fact that in their day, God was finally coming, if we can put it that way. God was finally, as promised, coming to rescue his people. So that a glorious new situation was going to be ushered in. And things would never be the same again. Think about that great phrase from the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Aslan is on the move. That announcement that alerted people to the fact that something big was about to happen. And in a sense, it was already underway. Aslan is on the move. That phrase helps us here. John is saying, my fellow Jews, in our own day, our God, our God who has always reigned, well, now in our own day, our God is on the move. It's happening. Things will never be the same. That was big news. And notice what John says here. It was the kind of big news that called for the people of God to come back to God. And I say that because of that one word, repent, John says. Repent. In other words, people of God, turn back to God from self and sin. It's time. Repent. That one word summons that John had for his fellow Jews. When God comes to us, well, then it's time. For us to come back to him. And John is saying in effect. That time is now. God's at the door. He's saying in effect. God's here. And he's about to walk through the door. And if we as a people are going to be ready for that. If we're going to be ready for him. Then we've got to go back to him. It's time. To go back to God.
That is John's message. That's his ministry. And then look at verse 3. What verse 3 makes clear is what we've already seen in some of the background study that we did, which is that John's ministry is the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 40. Look at Matthew 3, verse 3. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And that's why I read for us earlier in our service from Isaiah 40. And remember, that passage wasn't just about this one who would come with this message. It was about the the stupendous meaning of that message. Remember Isaiah 40? Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That's Isaiah 40. And in the ministry of John the Baptist, those ancient words are coming true. Not just this one figure with this message, but what his message means about what God is about to do and about what it's going to mean for the whole of creation. And then finally, to round things out, look at verses 4 through 6 in our passage today. Verses 4 through 6. Some interesting details here. Matthew writes, Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. That's highlighting the fact that John was not a rich man. That was a poor man's way of life. And if you think it's strange that he ate locusts, just remember that every time the cicadas come out, the Washington Post posts the recipes about how you can make the most of that remarkable moment. A garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, that's highlighting the fact that he was dressed like that. That John really had come in the spirit of the prophet Elijah in the Old Testament. And I say that because back in 2 Kings 1 in the Old Testament, that's exactly how Elijah is described in terms of what he wore. So John doesn't just sound like Elijah in the message that he has for the people of God, a message of repentance. In a sense, he also looks like him. Because of of what he wears. Then verses 5 and 6. Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So it's clear, word got out about John and his message. People were flocking to John to hear his message. And John was baptizing them. John was baptizing them. The idea of being ceremonially washed as an expression of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, that was not entirely unheard of among the Jews in those days, but never quite like this. This wasn't Gentiles, non-Jews, 
being ceremonially washed because they were outsiders coming in. This was John baptizing his fellow Jews. This was John saying, people of God, you need to be washed. You who are the insiders, I'm calling you back to God because you need to be ready for him and you're not. Even think about the question, why was he called John the Baptist? Why isn't he called John the Preacher? Because he did both. He preached and he baptized. And not only that, but you can make the case that the preaching was more important. It's always the word proclaimed that interprets the ritual. It's the ritual that depends upon the word for its meaning and not the other way around. So why isn't he called John the Preacher? Well, the answer is he's called John the Baptist because it was his ministry of baptizing people that was so unique. That's what was different. That's what was distinctive. That's what stood out. There had been lots and lots of prophets who preached. Every prophet preached. And you can read all about all of them in the Old Testament. But there would never been a prophet like this. And that's because There had never been a moment like this in the whole of human history. There'd never been a prophet who said, it's happening. God is on the move now. God is coming finally now. Therefore, come and be washed. Come and be washed because we need to come back to God in order to be forgiven by God. So, yeah, it makes perfect sense. That he came to be known as John the Baptist. People of God, come and be washed. John the Baptist. So friends, that's what we find this morning when we go back in time. That's been this morning's time travel. The ministry of John the Baptist. And that brings us then, as I was saying when we got started, that brings us from the time travel portion to the back to our present day portion. So we get back in the time machine, doors close, we make our way back from the first century to the 21st. What lessons do we take with us? Perhaps we talk about these things as we make our way from the first century back to the 21st. Well, I want to highlight two truths especially that we just saw here in Matthew 3 that are abiding, that we take with us. The first is the truth of Jesus. In Jesus Christ, God has stepped in to save. In Jesus Christ, God has stepped in to save. We can say it here in the 21st century. God has come in Jesus. And God is doing a new thing in history. He sent his son to save back then. His son lived and died and was raised back then in order to save sinners. And now, throughout the ages to this present moment, right now, sinners are coming to faith. And they, we, are growing in faith and faithfulness. 
And they're even gathering in order to grow and worship together. In other words, they're gathering into churches. And the gospel is being preached. The gospel is being preached because preachers are being trained and sent out to preach it. All of that is happening right now. And one day, Christ is going to come back and raise our bodies and put down his and our enemies and glorify the cosmos. To put it mildly, that is a new state of affairs. That's the kingdom of heaven. That's the kingdom of God. That kingdom is right now being constructed. That state of affairs is right now being ushered in. God is doing a new thing in history. He has not left the world and the human race under the reign of sin. God has stepped in. God has come in Christ. God is on the move. And friends, that needs to be the lens through which we see everything that happens in the world, everyone we meet in the course of our day-to-day lives. The news these days is pretty rough. I mean, what's going on in our country? What's going on around the world? And perhaps like me, you come here this morning with a sense of that, perhaps even weighed down by that. And with that steady torrent of rough, bad news, it can start to feel like nothing's new. Nothing's changed. It's just life under Adam, same as it ever was. And so we need this. We need to hold on to this. We need to see the world and, and, and reality and life through the lens of this truth. In Jesus Christ, the kingdom of heaven has come. And that, by far, is the main thing about what's going on in the world today. This is one of the many reasons why it's so valuable for us to stay close to Scripture. And to keep coming back to the perspective that we'll only get from Scripture. And in our fellowship together as the people of Scripture. You won't get this from the news. And understand, that's not a knock against the news, however you get yours. It's simply to say that it's only the Word of God. Which is going to remind you of the reality of the kingdom of God. That it's underway. And that it's even underway in your own life. That is the main thing about what's going on in the world today. Friends, our God is on the move. And nobody can stop him now. John said so at the very dawning of it. When there was only so much that he could see and say. We get to say so. When the sun is high in the sky and we can see it all and it's brilliant. In Jesus Christ, the kingdom has come. So that's the first. And then here's the second. And it follows right on the heels of it. It's founded on it. And it is the summons to repentance. So the first was the truth about Jesus 
In Christ the kingdom has come. Now the second is founded upon it, and it is the summons to repentance. As I said before, when God comes to us, then it's time for us to come back to him. When God comes to us, it's time for us to come back to him, and that is this very moment in history since Christ has come. So yes, it's true. Our whole time travel theme today. Yes, it's true. John's ministry was a ministry unlike any other in the whole of history. And so it's true. We can acknowledge this. The summons to repentance that he proclaimed and even the baptism that he carried out. All of that was bound up in that unique ministry, in that unique moment, preparing the people of God for the unveiling of the Savior who at that point was still waiting in the wings. So we can say all of that. We can acknowledge the uniqueness of that moment in John's ministry. But it's also true that we can still say to this day that God has come in Christ. And because that's true, therefore, we ought to come back to God. Repent. That is the church's evangelistic message for the world, right? Come back to God and be saved. But it's also one of the rhythms and disciplines of the Christian life, Christian discipleship, people of God. Don't make peace with your sin. Turn from it. Go back to God because God has come to you. God is near. Think of it this way. In your own life, let our point number one this morning lead you to point number two. Point number one, God has come. God has stepped in to save. Therefore, point number two, how in your own life do you need to turn around and step back to him? Is there some sin in your life that you've made friends with? It's time to turn from it and draw near to God. And that's because this is the time when God has drawn near to you. So, brothers and sisters, it's true. We've, we've gone back in time today, a little, little time travel, back to the first century, back to an extraordinary moment. But as I was saying before, not just out of curiosity, not just as students of history, but as listeners to the voice of God, as those who have been given ears to hear that voice. And God has spoken to us today by the history that he has shown us. God is on the move. So let us ever move back to him in repentance and faith. May it be so. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, We thank you for your word, for the remarkable announcement that John made. Thank you for taking us back to that moment, his message, his ministry, his ministry of preaching and baptizing. Grant us grace, we pray, to take with us into our own day, into our own lives this day, the truth that you have stepped in to save that in repentance we might step back to you, turning from sin to the glory of God. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.